how do you stay calm and centered when you are on the eve of publishing your first novel? If you want to know more about that, stay tuned for my conversation with Barbara Graham. She's the author of the forthcoming novel, What Jonah Knew. It's a brilliant exploration of grief that is thrilling and psychologically captivating. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Barbara Graham, and don't forget to pre-order a copy of her novel. Hey, I'm the Reluctant Book Marketer, and I've got just one question for you. Do you see your novel as a million-dollar asset? Because if you don't, and you want to, you're in the right place. This is the only show for novelists who want to shift their mindset away from fear and toward abundance. Because you can sell more books than you ever dreamed when you believe in what you're doing. I want to start out with a broad question for you about how you came to meditation as an important aspect of your life first. I really discovered meditation in the late 80s when I was living in New York and life in New York is is tough. <laughs> um, and uh, a friend took me to a talk by a really esteemed Tibetan Buddhist teacher, Rinpoche. And I was just really drawn into um, the whole practice, the philosophy. I remember in that talk, he talked about the first noble truth in Buddhism, which is that life is suffering, which some people will describe as disappointing, dissatisfying, but the point is that inherent in our human existence is a lot of difficulties. So I thought, oh, wow, that's great. It's not just me. Mm. Um, <laughs> uh, and, and so that was kind of my introduction to the practice, though I had read The Way of Zen by Alan Watts when I was a teenager and Siddhartha. And so I'd always been kind of drawn to it. Okay. And in your, your forthcoming book, although uh, it's, it's right upon us now, um, that is a central theme of the novel is uh, all of life is suffering. There's a quote, and I'm going to butcher it now because I'm not sitting with my note, but it's the idea of know the unknown or get comfortable with the uncomfortable uh, that, that really peaks in the first hundred pages of the book. Uh, and I don't want to give anything away that you don't give away, but I just was so captivated by how rich the descriptions were and how relentless you are on your characters of forcing them into uncomfortable situations and exploring uh, what it feels like to become comfortable with the uncomfortable. Can you talk a little bit about that? One of the primary teachings in in Buddhism and and really most spiritual traditions, but it's very much called out in Buddhism, is impermanence. Um, things change, everything changes all the time. And so my characters had to deal with that. And um, there's joy, there's sorrow, but you know, it comes in waves and it, it is just the nature of being alive. 
so many writers have a hard time putting their characters in really deep suffering because we kind of connect to them. Was that a struggle for you at all? Did you feel like you had to push yourself to make the characters suffer the way that they do? Because it's emotionally a really hard hitting book. I didn't have to push myself so much as it was painful, um, really, to have my characters, particularly Helen, whose adult son disappears, to have to go through that and suffer. I'm the mother of a son, so that was challenging for me, but just the experience of that. But you know, I was writing a thriller, a psychological thriller, and you can't really write in that form without your characters enduring some kind of suffering. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it, it is funny to to think back toward even my own um, early writing experience, not realizing that avoiding that pain was making the work that I was writing uninteresting to uh, readers. There's really no such thing as a, a conflictless book. So now I do want to shift over and have the conversation um, because you are publishing with one of the big five. Congratulations. That's exciting. There are many listeners Thank who are you. grappling with what they want to do, and they've been trying for years and years to have that accomplishment and aren't finding success. Some are going to go towards self-publishing. Others are going to go toward a hybrid version of publishing. You did something really right. And I know that it is the culmination of years of work. So if you can think toward this journey, and I know you have several other books published, um, what did it look like to get to this point where you were able to have marketed yourself into a position of success that you're experiencing now? My own experience was, this was, a, I was possessed by this book. This was something I really had to write. So I didn't have a choice. It's also a first novel, so there was a real learning curve. I'd written plays, which are also fiction, but in plays, you know, you the actors are the descriptive part, and and you write you write the dialogue. It's almost like scoring. So there was a big learning curve. I had to write this book, and what I knew was I didn't know if I would get a publisher. I was prepared to self-publish. It didn't matter. And, and that would be the advice I would give any writer. Write the book you need to do. It will be the best book that you can write if, if you need to. <laughs> go Go to the scary places in the writing and don't think about publication until you feel like the book is done. The thing about writing novels is you really have to have a complete novel before you try to sell it or approach a hybrid publisher or, or, or anybody. Yep. So, so really you want to do the, write the book that you need to write that only you can write and then think about publishing later. I was lucky, but honestly, I would say as recently as a year and a half ago, I thought I would be self-publishing. I didn't know, or I'd reach out to a hybrid publisher. I really honestly didn't know. That is fascinating. It's it's so compelling to have to have read your book, to have experienced it, the quality of it. Yours felt like literary, but still tremendously gripping. I just, it was a book I, I had so much trouble putting down. Um, it was a, a real delight to read. And so 
I guess there's a part of me, I, I want to say that I'm almost soothed to hear that you thought you would have to self-publish because a book of that quality, um, you would think that anybody, any publisher who would read it would be nuts to not say yes. Thank you. It's, But it's also kind of a quirky book. It's kind of a hybrid book. It brings in spirituality, mm. mysticism, the paranormal, things that aren't necessarily part of the usual recipe for a psychological thriller. So I didn't know. I thought maybe it was going to be too outside the box of the conventional thriller. And that is an important point is when we are writing for any kind of commercial publication, those are things that we have to think about. But I love that you tempered that by first saying, write the book that only you can write, because this book does feel tremendously personal in that way. So returning now to the theme of meditation, of life is suffering, of getting yourself out there, going on submission with an agent, waiting to hear back from a publisher, what would you say you learned about how meditation helped you through what would certainly be tense times? Being out on submission is one of the worst experiences of my life, um, really, truly. And I imagine it was no fun for you either. Were there ways that you found meditation helpful in pushing through that time? I would say getting comfortable with not knowing, which is primary when you do any kind of mindfulness meditation practice is is learning that discomfort uh to be with not knowing and even if it's very uncomfortable then it's very uncomfortable and you note that and and go on um there's and it, it's it just gives you a way of holding whatever it is you're experiencing, not knowing, discomfort, fear, with kind of a, a in a sort of bigger container. Um, once you notice it, then you're able to hold it and contain it without necessarily going with it all the way uh, and getting completely identified with it. Does that make sense? I think so. And my response is, there, I had a very meditative experience in my life and not too long ago. Um, and what I came out of that experience with was the idea of nothing matters until something matters. And when you say that to somebody, they're like, oh, that sounds like the perfect cliched phrase right there. But when it hits you personally and you feel, okay, until something matters to me, I can't make anything matter to anybody else. So if I'm faking it or not really embracing it, then I'm not experiencing it and I can't translate it for you. Um, I do want to ask you to try to explain a little bit more the phrase that you said, um, get comfortable with the unknown, because that that's that phrase right there that I think for you makes a ton of sense, but might be hard for somebody listening to translate. And I would love to hear from your mm -hmm. personal experience. What are some steps that we can take to get comfortable with the unknown? Right. And, and, and maybe that's not quite right, because sometimes we're not comfortable with it. Sometimes we acknowledge we don't know, and it feels very uncomfortable. But just that awareness gives you a little bit of distance from being completely 
um, caught by that emotion. So being knowing that you're uncomfortable, knowing that you're afraid, and just kind of noting mm -hmm. it, letting it be, creates just a little bit of distance between you and the feeling that you know a little bit of air gets in a little mm. bit of breath without being completely wrapped up in it yeah so it sounds like part of of that process has to be stopping every so often to do a self check and say where am i at right now what are my feelings is that accurate for you noticing yeah um i i would call it noticing whatever is up for you um can be very helpful. And sometimes just breathing, you know, following the breath, it's, you know, the ancient practice of breathing in and out, feeling the breath rise and fall in your belly or in and out of your nose. And that can have a very calming effect on the nervous system. I mean, that's something, you know, I've had an MRI and that's what I've done in the MRI tube and just, it's a way of calming down the nervous system. And, and sometimes it's really hard to do and you don't necessarily stay there, but you can return to mm. it. Absolutely. I have, I have really enjoyed breath work. Uh, I, I got swept up in Tumo breathing. I, I really enjoyed that. It's not quite as, as calming uh -huh. um, in the initial phase, but I always found this sense of bliss at the end of a good Tumo breathing session. Um, so what would you say to somebody like me that is a very hard driving person and probably one of my characteristics is impatience? In fact, if you were to ask my wife, she would say that I am possibly the most impatient person she's ever met. Mm -hmm. uh, there are others out there like me who are authors and are waiting for something to happen and feel like they've put in their due diligence. The book is out there. It's not getting the kind of traction they want. And they're just thinking about pushing the, the you know, quote unquote, easy button. And so I know that self-publishing is not easy, but if you've never done it before, it can seem like it and it can seem faster. What would you say about your journey to respond to that hard driving personality? Well, of course, everybody wants to get their book published. And um, I mean, that's just the nature of it. I certainly did as well. But, you know, even when you're getting published, and even when you're getting published by a major publishing house, like Harper, um, not everything falls out exactly the way you want it to. So that's just that's the nature of of any creative endeavor. And I think you just have to kind of balance your belief in your own work and really trust that work with how it's received in the world. You know, it's unlikely that my book is gonna get reviewed in the New York Times. It's coming out in two weeks. I haven't seen that yet, but I don't know that. You know, so there are always, there's always a higher bar so you can always be unhappy and impatient and want more to happen than what you see happening. So it, it's a matter of knowing that. And for me, one thing I've had to learn and, and in writing other things, in writing plays, I've had plays done off Broadway in New York, is I am not this play, I am not this book, 
you know, that it's a way of, of relating to that and holding that without getting completely over identified with it so that your whole sense of self and life and happiness depends on the next big thing, whether it's the publisher or a particular reviewer or getting, you know, 10 gazillion followers on Instagram, whatever it is. It's just the nature of it. So there's all there's always a reason to be impatient and dissatisfied, hmm. and there's always a reason to be happy. And I think it's really important to give yourself, "Hey, I did this, hmm. and let's go to the next step." And and you know, be compassionate toward yourself. And it's so competitive out there, and with all the social media, and everybody's vying endlessly for attention it it kind of i think um increases that that sense of impatience and really wanting the thing to happen and you you got to somehow balance it out and and take pride in the work you've done yeah and and whatever is happening to be grateful for that <laughs> practice some gratitude as a balance to you know, wanting more and more and more and more. Yeah. I, I really enjoy that. Something else that I, I enjoy uh, is it, the paradox that you create in everything that you said. And there's this moment in what Jonah knew where Helen, I, I think is probably at the height of emotion. She's, she's driving through Laramie and she stops and she meets a guy at a bar and has this very unexpected relationship with him. Um, and that is like the exact opposite of everything. It feels like seize the moment, take it right now. It's in front of me. And I'm going to drink deeply of everything that's happening and, and not be mindful at all. Do you feel like that's a fair interpretation of that particular scene? Uh, yes. I think for Helen, it was time out of time. She was so identified with the loss of her son. And here she had an opportunity to be to just be like a regular person and not a grieving, mm -hmm. you know, mother. So, and she, she did seize it and um, it, it was great. And it was great fun to write. I was so happy for her. I imagine I could feel the joy of it. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so going with that a little bit, because that's, that is sort of the other side of the coin. Talk to me about the moment that you did know you had a book deal in your hands and what those feelings were like to allow some of the listeners just a moment to to maybe live vicariously through through your feelings at that um, moment. Um, it 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 was great. Uh, I was I was outside and I got a call from my agent and uh, and then the editor who bought the book, who actually was the editor on my last book, which was nonfiction, called me and I was standing on a very windy street in San Francisco. And it just felt great. Like, wow, somebody really wants this because you don't ever know. Yeah. Um, and, and that was a truly joyful moment. 
Yeah, absolutely. I think that uh, for those who are going through the submission process and do have agents, and I, it's the same too when you get a call from an agent if you're just uh, querying, that feeling uh, is it's very difficult to describe. I guess it's almost like talking to somebody who's just won a, a sports championship and they never they never can say much about exactly the feeling, but the words that that stuck with me are the call. You you get to a point where you're just waiting for the call. Um Right. You know, it's, it's a, it's a long journey. I would like to shift slightly because you do have a unique uh, perspective as far as marketing goes as well, because you have published a lot of nonfiction. You've been part of collaborations. What would you say are the differences in the way that you market a novel versus marketing a nonfiction book? That's a hard question because my last nonfiction book was about 12 years okay. ago. Oh, that's not true. I, I did an e-memoir but and didn't do a whole lot of marketing okay. with that. But with my last actual nonfiction book, I did do a lot, but it was not the same climate or, you know, social media. There was no such thing as book talk and I don't think Instagram existed at that point. So it, it, it was such a different experience. And, you know, for me doing the social media piece is really hard. I actually listened yesterday to your conversation with Emily yeah. Enger, I yep. think her name was. And I love that she calls what <laughs> she does good enough marketing. Yes. I think that's great yes. because Again, it's like selling the book. It's like you want the whole thing, but good enough. You know, you need a good enough publisher, a good enough what, whatever, and you can't do all of it. Yeah. And I don't want to spend all day, every day online, you know, promoting myself. Yeah. It's just so I, I loved that. So, I mean, I'm, I have the help with social media. I have to say because i'm you know not a techno genius um so but it, it's interesting it's, it's very interesting now because podcasts didn't mm -hmm. exist when my last book came out i'm doing a bunch of podcasts such as yours yeah. but also when I, my last book came out i did a lot of interviews on the phone mm -hmm. or whatever now people send me questions by email mm. and the interviews happen by email, yeah. which in a way is good because you get to say whatever exactly you want to mm -hmm. say and you can kind of, you know, tweak it. But it, it's just a very different world and there's so much competition and, you know, people vying for clicks. It can really make you crazy. Yeah. Um, it, it's absolutely crazy making. So I would say good enough is good enough and do what you can but don't don't make yourself crazy and and i that's something that you know i can say it but i have to keep doing that and keep reminding myself mm. okay you know maybe i don't have as many friends on mm. you know, my quote friends because right. they're not really friends yeah. or you know followers or whatever they mm. are um as as somebody else but you know we can always compare ourselves to to somebody 
you know, who has more this or more that. And it's just a recipe for making yourself miserable. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. From a comparison standpoint, social media is devastating. Um, I, I have seen people use it. I was just listening to a podcast today on a brief drive I was taking, and the the host was talking about, um, you know, taking breaks from social media and how that's become a ubiquitous term, but it doesn't solve anything. I mean, it's great that you got away for a week, but when you come back, it's still there. So there's this whole mindset shift that has to change to have a healthy interaction, even with good enough book marketing. Um, because if you if you think, oh, I have to interact with my family here, I have to interact with all of my lifelong friends, plus I have to interact with all of my readers, that becomes suddenly quite tiring. And burdensome. Very burdensome. Yeah. And it's it's just, it's quite uncomfortable. I will warn you, don't listen to my last episode about Twitter, because that's kind of the opposite outlook on at least how I, I enjoy interacting on um, social media, but I've, I've sort of sold out. I'm kind of a, a marketing sellout right now um, because I, I quit my W-2 and I never want to work for somebody who pays me again, unless it's my readers. We'll see if I can accomplish that. It's an experiment in the making. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about Camp Paradox, which I believe is that book you were mentioning that was kind of the in-between book. Am I right? Or do I have my... Okay. Yeah. So you did an yeah. interview with HuffPost uh, that I thought was pretty captivating. Um, I want to let you talk as much or as little about the details of that book um, because it's a very personal. Uh, it sounds like it was a devastating experience. I actually share an experience similar to it in my own life. And so that stopped me as well. But that interview I thought was magical. Um, First, if you would, did they reach out to you or did you reach out to do a small amount of promotion? How did that come about? And what was your mindset going into it? I had a friend of mine who's a publicist really loved the memoir and so just offered to reach out to some of her contacts for me. So that was how that came about. And, you know, it, it it's a it's a very sensitive subject, mm -hmm. but it's it was another book that I had to write and, and once written, I'm done with it. But, you know, the subject of being sexually abused by your camp counselor, in my case, my female camp counselor, and having no idea what that was and, and you know, no context for it. This was, you know, a long time ago before anybody was talking about openly about sexual abuse. So. It, it was pretty devastating is, is the right word, but and I didn't really understand it or make sense of it until many years later. And so, but I felt like it was important to talk about because we hear so much about sexual abuse by priests and, you know, men, men and young girls but there's almost nothing it's it's kind of a taboo subject women uh abusing girls mm -hmm. there's there there are some things written about it i've researched it a lot but there's not a whole lot um it's still probably one of the more closeted um you know terrible relationships or calling it a relationship isn't quite yeah. right but um yeah so, and also you've one hears much more about priests and boys or camp counselors or teachers and boys, but almost nothing about girls. So for me, it felt important 
to to speak the truth. I think for me, writing is about telling the truth, finding the truth, asking the questions that lead to some truth. That is a, a quote that I found from you about about seeking out the truth in writing, and it played a, a huge part in what Jonah knew. I had a, a, an experience as an employee, and I was a, a young man um, working at a coffee shop, and my manager was was a woman, and she used the position of power in a, a kind of a similar way. And I know that I was deeply ashamed because I thought I must have done something wrong um, to put myself in that that situation, that maybe I had been too friendly. And um, you're right, it's very taboo to talk about those things because somehow you take it on yourself. That's so classic, though, to think that it's your fault. It's all—it's a power imbalance. There was—I mean, this counselor was yes, twice my right. age, and there's a real power imbalance. But but it's it's human nature, I think, to think oh, that we did something wrong when, in fact, not. And for me, writing about it and speaking about it was a way of of kind of pulling back my in my own innocence mm. a friend of mine who's a meditation teacher called it soul retrieval and and that i think that's true what a lovely idea to think uh, to think that you could you could retrieve that piece of the soul that's gone hiding or yeah missing interesting how it how it yeah. comes back uh, to to the theme of of your book of something going missing and the the search for it a uh, little bit of a, a tough subject, and I think I more or less am anticipating part of your answer here, just because of the tradition that you're you're bathed and steeped in. Um, but talk to me about your expectations for what Jonah knew um, on publication date and the months uh, coming. You know, I'm going on a tour. I'm gonna be I'm gonna be really busy. I'm going to a bunch of cities. Um, which could be crazy during COVID, yeah. but I'm hoping everyone will be masked in the bookstores and places that I'm going and trying to do it as safely as possible. I don't know. You know, I, I simply don't know. I have great expectations that people will have the same kind of response to the book that you seem to have had. And I really appreciate that. And, you know, I, what I'm trying to stay with is how lucky am I to be having this book published by a major publisher at this moment in time. This is great. If nothing happens with it, it's already good. Now, of course, the, I tell myself that. Now, of course, I, I wish for more. I, I wish for it to reach and, and touch readers and maybe crack open a mind a little bit here and there and and give a sense of that that our lives are more vast than we we imagine much of the time but i i, I don't know so again it's the the practice is being with not knowing yeah. i yeah. i think there will be some readers i, I think it's going to have pretty good word of mouth i think between people who from people who really like it and get it and i don't but i don't know um, again, I don't know, but I feel very supported by writers that I'm having conversations with like you and, and getting wonderful 
responses from people and that goes a very long way yeah that's a, a good feeling Anytime I have someone who's on the cusp of publishing for uh, pre-orders, I like to give you an opportunity to explain why pre-orders are so important to writers. Well, I, I think it's a signal to the publisher that, you know, that, that to pay attention to this book because publishers, you know, they publish way more books than they're really focused on in the marketing and so on. So I think that when they see pre-orders being, you know, robust, then they think, okay, we really are, we were right in publishing this book and we're on to something. So for that reason, I think it's, they're really important. Absolutely. And, and I've asked every single person I know to pre-order. Exactly. Book. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> I'm, I'm envisioning a door-to-door -door campaign for myself at some point and just, uh, you know, hearkening back to paper moon. I'm a, I'm a door-to-door -door Bible salesman swindling you out of your money. <laughs> oh, right. not really. It's uh, the, the, the great mindset here is that uh, like you, your book, it is, you said that phrase, crack open your mind. That's what these books do. They give us an opportunity to know ourselves at a level we never did before. Um, and I hope that nobody will ever uh, sell that short because that's an amazing experience. And it's something that only writers can give to readers. Tell everybody where they can find your book right now so they can be one of the people who pre-orders. From my website, which is Barbara Graham author.com. On my website, there are links to Amazon and independent publishers and anybody you might want to buy the book from. Perfect. I'm going to link to that in my show notes. And then in the spirit of good enough book marketing, what is the one social media outlet you enjoy the most if readers want to interact with you there? I probably spend more time on Instagram and my Facebook author page than I do on Twitter, but I like Twitter. I like what you do on Twitter. <laughs> uh, I think Twitter Twitter is interesting. So, but it, it's again, it's a matter of time yep. and 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 not being able to be everywhere all the time because there's lots more to do. So, Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So it sounds to me like Instagram, and I'm going to link to Instagram in my show notes. I'm thinking your website has all of those uh, links to your other social media sites as well, but let's support you okay. in doing just enough and getting Instagram on the show notes. If you're listening to the episode right. right now, just click the show notes before you even quit listening and uh, follow Barbara on Instagram. Make sure to buy her book. Barbara, thank you so much. This was one of the most fun conversations I've had in a long time. And I think you're going to do amazing things with the sales numbers. So really appreciate you. Great. Thank you so much, Jody. So nice to talk to you. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed today's show, do me a big favor right now. Click on the follow button in whatever podcast app you're listening on. That way you'll get notifications every time I drop a new episode. And if you still can't get enough, you can go to the show notes, click the link for my newsletter, and sign up today. I'll give you one to two interesting pieces of content every single month that you won't hear on the podcast or find laying around on the internet.